And would you so kindly pray for me uh, that any word that comes from my mouth is only the word of God and anything else is just stripped away. Father God, we, we come to you humbly and ask that you meet each person where they are. You know them better than, than anyone. You love them. Uh, you pursue us even when we run from you. God, there's people in the room that are broken, uh, that are angry. Um, God, there, there is hurt, and yet they're here. They're watching online. And so, Father, I pray that you would just do what only you can do and uh, let your word go out, and we know it doesn't return void. And Father, I pray that anything I share only comes from you and anything else is stripped away. Jesus, we love you. In your holy name, amen. Some of my deepest and closest friends have one thing in common. They all love me enough to tell me things about my life that were hard, even if it meant putting our relationship at risk. They admonish me. Today we continue our series called One Another. My name's Phil. I, I have the honor of being an elder here at Christ Point. And at Christ Point, our purpose is to point people to Jesus. And we do that in four different ways. First, we encounter the life-transforming power of the Word of God. We also want to establish a culture of joyful service. We want to engage all people. And today we dig deeper into experiencing authentic community and we tackle admonishing one another. James kicked the series off calling us all into community. Keith spoke about one of the ingredients of community being forgiveness, forgiving one another. Last week, James shared another ingredient in authentic community, which was love, loving one another. And today, we're going to wrestle with the, another ingredient in community. These aren't all of them, but admonishment, which is admonishing one another. Now, this happened recently to me, me on a family trip to Banff, Canada. This, was taken, this picture was taken from the windshield of our car as we drove in Banff, Canada. If you've never been there, it's amazing. Uh, what an incredible gift to go and explore the Rockies with the family. Uh, we played golf. Uh, we saw some elk. We even saw a bear walking down the road. Uh, we got to go to the top of a 12,000-foot mountain and see 360. Um, but long travel days and a two-hour difference in time. The sun rises at 5 in the morning, and it doesn't go down to 11 at night, believe it or not. The oxygen levels are lower, so you get, I mean, you can't breathe as well. And so the high altitude, the hiking, the canoeing, I was a little tired. I was a little tired. And so I was driving back to our hotel, uh, and Ann asked me, are you okay to drive? I was like, absolutely, I'm good. Absolutely. Uh, even though I was really tired, I needed a nap. Um, and then I'm driving down the road, and, you know, you know those rumble strips? I hit them. Yeah, anyone ever hit the rumble strips before? Yeah. And so I qu quickly jerked back. Um, and she's like, are you all right? I was like, yeah, I'm good. Um, but my eyes barely open. <laughs> and then I'm going down and hit it again. And she's like, hey, you hit the rumble strips again. Do you want to switch drivers? You look tired. And I was like, yes. <laughs> so we pulled over. She drove. And I slept. Yeah. And then Henry and Eli slept. There's a picture. Um, there's not a picture there. But there is a picture. Um, you have to ask Henry and Eli for that one. So 
But she gently and repeatedly had to press into me for me to admit I needed a nap, which I was avoiding because, number one, I didn't want to miss anything with my family, and also wanted to lead and take care of my family by driving. Prideful and not helpful. And Anne loves me enough to say so. And so, just like I shared, we're going, we are either getting admonished or we're admonishing all the time. As parents, you admonish your kids when they do something wrong, right? Uh, your boss admonishes you when he or she wants you to improve something. And then coaches admonish their players every day in practice. Admonishment is not something new, nor is it something that's only for Christians to do. The only difference between admonishing uh, as a Christian is the purpose. And the purpose is to help us grow spiritually. Becoming more like Christ and becoming healthier as a believer. And yet, hear me on this. Admonishing is probably the most neglected, the most misunderstood, the least practiced, and the most needed course of action in the body of Christ. I know just saying that word might make you nervous. You might be looking for the door. Or, hey, it's not like, it's like hey, you're being called to the principal's office. But before you head to the door, we want to tackle three things. Biblically speaking, we want to wrestle with what is admonishment. Second, why is it important? And then third, what does it look like to do this really well? How do we admonish? Because we want to do it well. So we want to equip you to know the what, uh, the why, and the how of admonishment. So let's take a look first at the what admonishment is. So in today's culture, uh, few are comfortable with calling someone into account. Yet this is what God's Word calls us to do. We are to admonish one another in all wisdom. So Colin Brown in the Dictionary of New Testament defines admonishment as to exert influence upon another, both by life and word, to guide him or her in obedience of God's will as revealed in Scripture. It consists of reminding, warning, counseling, correcting, reproving, and rebuking a person with the intention that he or she will carry it out. Chip Ingram, who's the president of Walk Through the Bible, says this. He says, I love this, admonition is God's antibiotic for the church. Done biblically, it's the most loving thing we can do for everyone involved, everyone concerned. So we think admonishment means judging someone's life when it doesn't meet standards. That's what we think, but we're wrong. Admonishing isn't judging, and it isn't also having a difference of opinion. Admonishing is instructing someone about a specific area in their life that doesn't line up with what is clearly God's will. So our approach should always be humble and gentle. Um, it's saying to a friend, I love you and I care enough about you to move into a difficult conversation. So let's, let's crack open our Bible. Let's look at, let's start with Romans 15, 4, 14. Uh, you heard Chris read this early on. And uh, this is Paul. And Paul says this. He says, And concerning you, my brothers and sisters, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all wisdom, uh, sorry, filled with all knowledge, and able also to admonish one another. So notice the word admonishment. I didn't take Greek, but in Greek, this word means, is nuthetel. It means to counsel, to advise, to steer, to direct, and to encourage. It's a comprehensive term for counseling. 
Uh, admonishing someone is not a casual conversation. It, it implies a, dif, a, a definitive correction of some type. And so there's three quick observations when we look at Romans 15 that we want to dig into. The first one is every believer, all of us, it's our responsibility to admonish. It's what we're called to do. The phrase one another means me admonishing you and you admonishing me. There are people in your life that you're the right person to give them good advice, to direct them in the right direction, or to warn them about something or someone harmful in their life. But listen, like there are also people in my life and in your life that have the right and are the right people to advise me, to warn me, and to direct me in the right direction. And the same holds true for you. So, Admonishment also requires character. Paul tells the believers in Romans 15, he is convinced that they are able to admonish each other because they are full of goodness. So this means that they have high moral character. They, they hate evil and they love righteousness. So this true goodness is the fruit of the Spirit, fruit of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was at work in their lives, and one of the evidences was that they were full of goodness which means they were producing good works. When you look at Ephesians 2.10, it talks about that. They did good things. They were kind. They were gentle. They were helpful. Uh, they were loving. They, they were a blessing among others for God's glory. Because of them being full of goodness, they were able to admonish others successfully. They weren't perfect. I'm not perfect. You aren't perfect. Um, sorry to break the news. Um, but they were striving to be more and more like Jesus. Perfection, listen, listen, perfection isn't a qualification for admonishment. But a heart seeking to live according to God's word is. So the last observation I want us to look at is admonishment requires knowledge. And so Paul also tells the, the believers in Romans 15, he is convinced that they are able to admonish each other because they are filled with knowledge. Now, this isn't referring to general human knowledge, but a, but a deep knowledge of God's truth. Remember, we talked about our purpose at Christ Point to point people to Jesus. And one of the ways we do that is experience, like in, in, encountering the life-transforming power of the Word of God. That's what it's talking about here. They were doctrinally sound. They had good, solid understanding of what the Bible says. When you look at Colossians 3.16, it tells something similar to that. And it says, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. So they were filled with the truths of Scripture. And too often we use admonishment as a way of pushing our own ideas or pushing our own agendas, or, or we warn people about stuff that isn't in God's Word, and that's really, really dangerous. So we need to be filled with God's Word and His knowledge. So it's our responsibility as believers to admonish. we got to do it. It's not, a, it's not a question of if, it's you have to do it. We have to do it. Uh, and when we admonish someone correctly, it requires both good character and also a solid biblical mind and knowledge. So we've talked about what admonition is. Now let's look at why it's important. There are four things. So first, it's a command. Second, we all sin and need correction. Third, we all got blind spots. I've got blind spots, you have blind spots. And fourth, because God uses it to grow us. He uses this to, like, 
admonition to grow us to become spiritually mature. So when we look at God's commanding us to admonish, remember what we just read, Colossians 3.16. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your, in your hearts to God. Two more verses. These come from Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 says, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. 2 Thessalonians 3.14 and 15 says, If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. So if anyone, if someone is not obeying, warn him as a brother. If left to my own sinful nature, I'm a wreck. It doesn't end well. And if you're left to your own sinful nature, you don't end well as well. So you might be thinking, so how can I admonish? Like, how am I qualified to step into another brother's life? Because I'm a sinner too. So remember, it's not about us. It's about Jesus and what he did for us. So Galatians 6 talks a lot about that. It gives us a great approach regarding the gentleness and the humility behind that. But if we do it in pride, we may be next. We may be next. So we've looked at the command. Now, hey, we all sin and need correction. So there are some times when we openly rebel and just cover up our tracks. We've all done it. And sometimes we need sin, we sin and be correction. So David said this in Psalm 19, 12. He said, who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from my hidden faults. So close relationships with other mature Christians uh, provide a safe place for biblical admonishment to occur, exposing sin or struggle in our lives to the light of Scripture. Because sin destroys a believer's life, what greater gift of love can anyone give another? So let's look at David's life in the Bible. Uh, David was a man after God's own heart, and yet he sinned and had blind spots. Uh, remember, David had an affair with Bathsheba, and then he tried to cover it up by getting her husband Uriah, which was uh, the commander in his army, killed. Um, but God used Nathan to admonish David, and it took a lot of courage from Nathan to move in and humility on David's part to hear it and respond. So look at how it went down. This is from 2 Samuel 12, 9. And this is Nathan's rebuke of David. Nathan said, Why have you despised the word of the Lord? To do what is evil in his sight. You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Amorites. You see, David tried to cover it up. But God loved David enough to use Nathan to move in and rebuke him and point out David's sin in his life. And David was humble enough to receive it, confess his sin, and repent. Nathan loved David enough to admonish him and risk his life in obedience to God. Now, th there's other times we sin and we have no clue that we're sinning. Those are called blind spots. Think about changing lanes in a car. So I've been teaching my boys how to drive. One of the things we talked about was, hey, you got to peek over your shoulder because, oh, by the way, there's a part of your car you can't see in that lane next to you. Those are called blind spots. We all have blind spots in our lives that we don't see. Hear me. I need people to see those and love me enough to have the courage to tell me about them. 
So my boss once said to me, he, says, he said, Phil, I'm not sure if you see this or not, but I need 2013 Phil back. He says, you've lost some energy about your leadership, and I need you to step it back up. I was coasting. I didn't notice. It was a blind to me. We all have blind spots. And without faithful friends who love us enough to point them out, they often go undetected and often hurting us and others. And so why is it important? It is central. Listen, like this is central to discipleship. It's our responsibility, and it's a command from God. We all sin, and we need correction. And believe it or not, we all have blind spots that we don't see. We need people to point out. And we're called to grow in spiritual maturity. So listen, God is in the business of changing people, which is a really, really good thing. He wants to change us to reflect his son, Jesus. And one of the means he uses to change us is other people. So God brings godly voices into our lives to form and shape us and to chisel away the things that don't belong. God cares about my spiritual maturity, and he cares about your spiritual maturity. So part of God's pursuit in us is to bring people into our lives that are willing to have those challenging conversations with us. That's a good thing. It's not you're in trouble. Go down to the principal's office. <laughs> and it's not like, hey, I'm, I'm going to give you a performance review now. Um, when, off, when I often think about admonishment, I, I often think I don't measure up or someone's going to tell me something about it. So disconnected from love, it can feel harsh, and we're already prone to being defensive about it, right? So, but admonishment is ultimately healing for our souls. God wants to grow us to reflect Jesus. He wants us to reflect Jesus in the way we think theologically, sort of about how we view God and how we view others. God also, he cares about our emotions and wants us and wants to change the way we feel. And God cares about how we act. God cares about our behaviors. There's times when we admonish one another in our actions. And the purpose of, the purpose of admonishment is our spiritual maturity. We admonish so we can get God's best and become all God wants us to become. And remember, it's central to discipleship. So looking back at Colossians 1.28, um, it's put this way. It says, we proclaim him admonishing each person and teaching each person with all wisdom so that we may present every person complete in Christ. So this word complete, if you look it up, it means mature and, and fully developed. But it doesn't mean that you've reached the end of your growth and you don't need to grow anymore. To be complete means to, to be whole and comprehensive and full. So you view life from a biblical perspective. You make decisions now on God, what God's word says. You're thinking about honoring Christ at work, at home, on the soccer field. You have a kingdom mindset. We are all called to be godly, holy, mature followers of Jesus. So admonish, admonishment spiritually matures us in three different areas of our lives. So it matures us with our theology, with our emotions, and with our behaviors. So the first area is theology. This is, this is what people believe. When I became a follower of Jesus, there were things that I believed about Jesus, uh, God, 
the enemy, the devil, marriage, money, heaven, that we're wrong. And that bad theology needs corrected. And so when another believer warned me about it, that I was either had strange beliefs, they were admonishing me. Same holds true for you. Admonishing one another helps us mature in our theology. We have stronger understanding and belief in God's word. So the second area is emotionality, emotionally. It's how people feel. There are times when we become angry, and we shouldn't be. Uh, there are times when you become afraid, and there's no need to be afraid. The Bible has a lot to say about being angry and bitter and jealous, fearful and worried. There are times when we need admonishing regarding our emotions, and admonishing one another helps us mature in our emotions. So the last area, that third area, is our behavior. This is really dealing with what people do, what we do. Here's where we admonish like, to not steal, lie, cheat, don't deceive others. It's the do's and don'ts of the Bible, but it comes from the heart. It's the overflow of the heart. And admonishing one another helps us mature in our behavior. We keep each other accountable, which we all need accountability. We encourage each other, we care about each other, and we protect each other by admonishing. As a result, we say and do the right things. So our aim with admonishment is what people believe, their theology, how people feel, their emotions, and what people do around their behavior. So here's the thing. When you are admonishing someone, you want your counsel to help them grow spiritually and become complete in Christ. And the reason behind that, admonishing others, is, is not to prove that you're right or wrong, in them wrong, or to make you look better than them. It's for their spiritual growth. It's for their spiritual growth. And when you're being admonished, remember, it's for your spiritual growth. When I'm being admonished, I have to remember it's not about them. It's about my spiritual They love me enough to move into a conversation and have the courage to have that, and I need to receive that. Uh, song, uh, Proverbs 27, 6 says, Faithful are the wounds from a friend. So when you're being admonished or rebuked by a friend, it's going to hurt. I don't like being corrected. I don't want to be warned. I don't think anyone likes being told what they're doing is hurting themselves or others. And who wants their sins addressed? Um, it, it's, it, it's, it's painful. But we have to remember it's for our personal development and our spiritual maturity. Wounds from a friend will help you grow, even though it's going to sting. So we've looked at what admonishment is. We looked at why. And they're like, all right, so how do I do it? It's not a one and done. It's a lifestyle. We live in this. It takes time. And there are three main ingredients here. There's persistence. There's compassion. And there's sensitivity. So Paul says in Acts 20, 31, he says, um, he says this. For three years, I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. So it takes persistence. It takes persistence. We, he was concerned here with their theology, what they believed about Jesus, God, and, other, and their behaviors. Paul didn't just mention these things once or twice. He was persistent over three years in admonishing. So when you're admonishing someone, it may take you confronting them once, but reality is, more than likely, you're going to have to lovingly admonish them many more times for the same thing. They may change for a while, but their old habit and old behavior, 
will creep back in to their lives even when they're unaware of it. So uh, with Anne's permission, I want to share something. So one of the, one of the struggles Anne and I have had as a parent is knowing when to protect our kids and when to let them fail. Anyone else have that? Anyone else wrestle with that? Yeah. Um, and there's a fine line between being an intentional parent and a helicopter parent. And the line seems to be moving. Um, I've watched her worry and wonder over details that were, were not hers to own and have had to remind her that in certain instances, she needs to let things go undone for the sake of the boys figuring out how to manage it on their own. She can tell you how many times she's had to remind me that in certain areas, details matter. So while I'm prone to focus on all the fun and leave mundane things like cleaning up long forgotten, um, she can discern when I'm being passive. Again, it's a fine line between my passivity and her overfocus on the details. So in 25 years of marriage, we both can tell you that we wish we didn't need such persistence to admonish one another in areas of passivity and pride. As much as we want it to be one and done, we often must go back to each other and admonish each other. We need to be persistent in it, church. So when you're being admonished, don't be offended when someone lovingly corrects you about the same things over and over again. What they're doing is they're demonstrating they love you and they care about you. Be thankful there's someone in your life who sees these harmful thoughts or harmful actions creeping back in and is willing to risk the relationship to move in and go over it again and again and again if necessary. That's a really, really good thing, even though it's, it's hard. So admonishing one another also requires compassion. So Paul also told believers, he said, For three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. So Paul cared about people. He loved them. He had compassion on them. And it was really obvious. When you admonish someone, it should be done out of love, period. Correcting someone and giving someone advice they need but probably don't want to hear is going to be hard to receive. But it does make it a little easier when truth is spoken in love. But when you are admonishing someone, you should be doing it because you have a compassion for them, you have a love for them, and you want God's best for them. It should be heartfelt. It shouldn't be done out of anger or bitterness or in some way to hurt them. Let the Holy Spirit love and encourage and comfort them through your words of, of admonishment. And they should be full of grace and love. Jesus did this so well. I love this quote from Anne Lamont. She said, God loves us just the way that we are, and he loves us too much to let us stay that way. Let me read that again. So God loves us just the way that we are, and he loves us too much to let us stay that way. That's really, really good news. God's pursuing us. So admonishment is this pursuit of God changing us to be more and more like Jesus. God in Christ has shown compassion on us so we can have compassion on others. He did it first, and he did it perfectly. Flip side, when you're being admonished, try to remember that you're being loved at that moment, and that's really hard to do. It probably won't feel that way. The person correcting you and warning you about a 
either a behavior or an attitude in your life is actually concerned about you. If they didn't care, they wouldn't say anything. They'd just let you keep on going because that's the easy route. Remember, they're loving you enough to move into a hard conversation. So when someone gives you advice, even if you don't want it, try to receive it with love and say thank you. And then the last thing, like admonishment requires sensitivity. So listen carefully to to 1 Corinthians 4.14. It says, I don't write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as a beloved child. So when you admonish someone, you're addressing either a belief that's that's not correct, an unhealthy emotion that isn't honoring Christ, or a behavior that's sinful and hurtful to them and others. This can often cause them to feel embarrassed or ashamed or humiliated. Um, But when admonishing someone, you need to be sensitive and understand the fact that you're about to say something that may hurt them or shame them, but this isn't your intent and purpose. You're doing this out of love. So when you're admonishing someone, you want to treat them like you would be correcting a child that you love so much. So admonishing is not about shame. It's about strength. Admonishing is about building up, not tearing down. And admonishing is about helping them turn the steering wheel of their life in the right direction and coming off of those rumble strips and get back in the road and continue to go down the right direction. So, but when you're being admonished, even though they point out something might be embarrassing to you, you need to know that confrontation is for your good. I got to remember that. It's for my good. Um, They're trying to build me up and replace what's weak in my life with God's strength. So before everyone runs out the door and says, I'm going to go admonish this person, right? Right. All right. So there's a few things you need to do before you move. Three, we need to stop and pray. We need to open our Bibles, and we need to examine our motives. So, like, prayer is the most powerful thing in our lives because we get to go to our creator. So when we should pray and examine our own life. God, like, get before God. Get alone with God. Search, like, God, search me. Know my heart. Like, is there anything I need to see that I'm not seeing before I move into this conversation? Matthew 7, 3 to 5 says, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log that's in your own? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll be able to see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. He's saying, God, if there's anything I need to confess before I talk with them, show me. Sit quietly. He will show you. He answers prayer. Then open your Bible. we got to open our Bibles. This isn't like a Duke fan I'm a Duke fan, and you love the heels, so you need to be corrected. Um, We're grounding this in the Word of God. His Word is true. Look into God's Word. Examine God's Word. Study it. 2 Timothy 2.15 says this. It says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the Word of truth. Whatever the issue is. Don't go to the person with something vague. Remember, the authority isn't yours. It isn't mine. It's not my opinion. The authority is in Scripture, and it's Jesus. 
He's the ultimate authority. So once we have prayed and we've now opened the word of God, then we have to examine our motives. There's, a, there's an old Christian saying, says, hey, check your heart. So why am I doing this? I want to do it because I want what's best for this other person. I love them enough. I deeply care about them. I see this in them to move into this conversation. 1 Corinthians 4.14 says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. You've heard it said before, if you can't say it in love, don't say it. Keep praying until you can. So once you've prayed, once we have prayed, and once we've opened God's word, and we examine our motive, it's time to move. So when you move into that conversation, you're doing it privately, and you begin the conversation by affirming your love for your friend. I love you so much. Then calmly share specific observations and concerns. Be careful not to be emotional, judgmental, or harsh. James once gave me feedback about tempering my excitement when reading announcements here. Um, Because for those who don't know me, my high energy level could be perceived as inauthentic. Um, He knows my heart is to be in authentic community with with people. So he gave me a, a loving, specific example of how I might want to engage differently. So our responsibility in having a conversation with someone is not in their response. Let me say that again. So our responsibility in having a conversation with someone is not in how they respond. Sometimes we worry about having a conversation with someone because we're worried about how they're going to respond. Like, is it going to damage our friendship? Like, what if my friend gets angry? What if they get hurt? Listen, it's going to sting. But we have to learn to sit in it, both as a person giving the feedback and the person receiving it. Because ultimately, that's what, because we can't not do it because we're afraid of how someone will respond. We can't say, I'm just not going to do it because I'm worried. Because ultimately, what's not loving is seeing something in someone and not having the courage to move into their life. That's probably the most unloving thing we can do is to see something and not move. So something else that's personal, um, my default is to lead with zeal. I like to lead. God's given me a gift of leadership. Before someone asks if we have any volunteers, my hand goes up. I was like, I'll lead. Um, that's what I do. God has, God has used it for, for some good and, and beautiful ways. But there have been times in my life when people came in and said, hey, Phil, you need to take your foot off the gas for a second. <laughs> you need to back it off. Um, you don't have to have the answer. You don't have to be the first to answer. You don't have to speak first. Just listen. There are times when I don't have to have the first word or the last word. In fact, I'm learning there are times when I don't have to have a word at all, which I tell you is really hard. But I wouldn't have had that had someone not just had the courage to move in and share that with me. Trust me, I need people in my life to come alongside me and share those things. I don't think I'm the only one. You do too. It's part of how God is forming Christ in me. And I suspect I'm not the only one out here. In fact, I know I'm not the only one because regardless of the momentary discomfort and fear 
confrontation when done biblically and in love will bring healing to believers. So Proverbs 27, 5 and 6 says, Better is an open rebuke than, a, than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Man, I'm so grateful for friends who were persistent with me, who had compassion, and who were sensitive in how they delivered it. So one of the greatest demonstrations of love is someone willing to lay it on the line and risk rejection from a friend in a broken relationship with a friend also, that friend doesn't continue down this dangerous path of destruction for their life. That is one of the greatest demonstrations of love to move into that. So let me ask you. Have you been that kind of a friend to someone else? Is God calling you to have a conversation with someone you know and love who needs to hear something difficult to deliver? Let's flip it. Or has someone been that kind of a friend to you? Has someone had a difficult conversation with you? Maybe you walked away licking your wounds a little bit because it was hard to hear. Maybe it's time to reframe that conversation you just had from this judgmental attack to like a loving rebuke from a friend. They cared enough about you and loved you enough to move into that and, have, and say something that was really, really difficult. The reality is there isn't one of us in the room that's exempt from admonition in our lives. We all need it. I need it. You need it. We all stumble. We are all sinners in need of a Savior. We're all sinners in need of a Savior. Left to our own, we would destroy ourselves. We need brothers and sisters in Christ to courageously step in and to warn us of dangerous paths we're heading down. And likewise, we should be willing and have courage to, to lovingly correct and warn a brother or sister who is slipping into sin so that they can be restored before it goes too far. So if warning one another about sin is the most loving thing we can do for a brother or sister in Christ, then what's the most unloving thing we can do for them? It's letting their sin continue without moving in and admonishing. So there was, that was a lot. So what do you do with it? So let, let's, I want to wrap up and allow us to, to reflect on this and ask ourselves a few questions. So God's word tells us to admonish one another. So the first question I want to ask us, and I've asked myself the same thing, is, is there someone in my life that I have influence over that I need to admonish? Are they doing something that's harmful? to themselves or others that I need to talk to them about? Are they caught in sin or a habit that I need to help them see the danger of in their life? So can I ask a question for you? So are you willing to have that conversation this week? Not wait for next week or next month, but are you willing to have that conversation this week? Not right now, but like, Send a text, make a phone call, say, hey, can we talk? What, what is preventing you from having that conversation? That's the first thing I want us to wrestle with. Second thing is, if you've been admonished by someone, how did you respond? Did you receive it humbly 
and seriously consider what they had had to say? Or did you respond in anger and try and turn that conversation in another direction? Were you rude to them? Or have you shut them out because of what they said? Do you need to make that right? So second question asked, are you willing to have that conversation this week? Are you willing to connect with that person? Hey, I really want to talk to you. Can we grab breakfast? What's preventing you from doing that? So those are the two questions I want us to wrestle with. And I don't want us just to jump into worship and leave. I want to give you a few minutes just to go to God in prayer. Because remember, our process is like, first, you got to pray. Seek God. And then let's open the Bible to see what God says. And then we want to examine our motives. So we're going to take the first step in that. And we're going to give you time to just pray to God and say, God, like, open my eyes. Who do, I, who do I have influence over where I need to move in? Give me the courage to do that. And if there's anyone that's admonished me that I didn't handle that right, allow me to move back into that conversation. So let's take a, minute, uh, a few minutes and let's, let's seek God in prayer over that. God, you know our hearts. Um, we are lost without you. Jesus, I pray that you would, we know that your promises never fail, that when your word goes out, it doesn't return void. God, I pray that if there's anything that I've said that doesn't align with your word, that you wipe it from people's memories. But God, like whatever is of you, God, stir that up. I pray that we would not just be hearers of the word, but we would be doers of the word, that we would know that you loved us so much, God, that you sent your only son who lived a perfect life, died on us, died a sinner's death and rose again so that we could have eternal life with you. And you have done, you've lived a perfect life and you've done so much for us, God. So I pray that we would love our friends enough to move into hard conversations where they have blind spots or whether they're sinning and hiding it. God, I pray that we would walk with people to help them spiritually grow in you. Help us have the courage to do that this week, God, to repair relationships and move into that or to love someone enough to move into a hard conversation. In your holy name, amen.